So um, today we are going to start and end a sermon series on the, the book of Jude. We're going to take a, a one-sermon look at the book of Jude. Um, it's only 25 verses, uh, but actually there's a lot, of, a lot in this, a lot of richness, so it's actually not so easy to do justice to it in, in one sermon. But let's give it a go. Um, so if you turn to Jude, let, let's read through it, and then let's see what, what God has to say to us. So Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Christ Jesus, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed long ago, uh, who, were destined, who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwellings, he has kept in eternal chains in gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example of undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs in your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the glory of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands to, of his holy ones to execute judgments on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in, in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. 
and have mercy on those that doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you for all of your holy scripture. Lord, I thank you for this this book. And I, I pray that this morning you will lead us in your Holy Spirit to see what you have to say to us individually and what you have to say to us as a church on contending for, for the gospel and um, on the importance of, of your holiness. Lord, I, I pray that you will open our hearts and that we may be ready to receive what, what you have to say to our hearts this morning. Father, I also pray for the children now in the Sunday school. I pray that you will feed them with, with your goodness and with the knowledge of you, that they may grow up firm and sure in the knowledge of you and that they may come to know you as, as your, their saviour and lord and we pray for the sunday school teachers and the helpers that you will give them wisdom that you will give them strength in this morning and we give you thanks for them and we pray these things in your name amen so jude jude is a short form of the name judas so i'm, I'm called tom it's a short form of the word thomas jude is a short form of the word judas and the name Judas actually was derived from Judah, so the, the, one of the tribes of Israel. Uh, no, this was not that Judas. This was not Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus, who, who wrote a letter that was incorporated into the, uh, the New Testament. Um, but we get some idea of who this Judas was if we look at the way he introduces himself. A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Um, and that's interesting if we go and look at, at Matthew. So in Matthew... There's a description of a, a time in which Jesus came to his hometown, and people in the hometown said, Matthew 13:55, "Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas?" So we have reason to believe that the author of this letter was a, a brother, at least a half-brother of Jesus himself. And it's interesting to note. Jude and, and James. James is also the author of the book of James. They don't introduce themselves by saying, hey, we are the brothers of you-know-who. You think you know Jesus, we know him much better. <laughs> in fact, it, it's not clear that Jesus' family always believed in him, but by this point, they clearly did. And Jude describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Just imagine if you have a brother describing yourself as a servant of your brother. Um, but that's likely who is the author of this this letter it's it's jude he was a, a brother of christ and he would know jesus very well and he's written a letter to all of us believers jude likes to speak in things in, in groups of three or sometimes possibly four and he, he he starts writing to us using three descriptions so he said we are those that are called so he reminds us I didn't come to know God because it occurred to me one day that I'm sinful and I need to be reconciled with him. I didn't know, come to know God because I was clever enough to, to figure it all out. Every one of us who has turned to Jesus and been saved has been called 
Um, the Bible says that God foreknew and God called in, in, in Romans in chapter 8. He called um, those to be justified and those to be justified he also glorified. So God, God has called us to a relationship with him. We are loved. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends, it says in John 15. And um, 1 John 3, John also says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So he reminds us that we've been called by God, and through the process of being justified and made righteous, we have become children of God, and we are loved so much. And then it says we are kept for or in Christ Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Um, well, it means something like we are being watched over, we are being guarded in, in Christ Jesus. So um, we're not on our own in this world. We are being watched over and we are being guarded. Um, the Bible says that, that Jesus is an intercessor. Jesus intercedes for us in front of Almighty God. What an amazing thing that, that Jesus himself intercedes for each and every one of us. Um, that doesn't mean that it's a passive thing. So it doesn't mean that we can kind of just sit back and be kept and be watched. Um, we are here on this earth to grow and to be sanctified, to become ready for eternity. So there, are, there is work, there is tests, there is trials that we need to, to, to withstand, um, that we need to walk through. But all the time, it is worth to remember that we are being kept in Christ Jesus. We are being guarded and we are being watched over. And then Jude says, then we have three things. We have mercy. Um, we are all sinners. We deserve to, to be condemned for our sins. And it's always worth to remember that we, we live because of, of mercy of God. We have peace. Peace in abundance. Peace not, not just in the absence of a conflict, but, but peace with God. Um, and we have love from God. So we're called. We, um, we are loved and we are kept. And then Jude goes on to say, actually he was going to write a letter all about this wonderful salvation, but it seems like he kind of changed his mind, um, and he felt urged to go to an, a different topic slightly. He urges us um, to contend for the gospel, which was given once and for all. Um, so first of all, notice that he says the gospel that is given once and for all. What is the gospel? The gospel is Simply put, we are sinners. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. If we repent and turn to him, we will be forgiven, we will be made new, we will be made children of God, and we will be justified. Um, and that gospel was given once and for all. So the gospel is not subject to revision, it's not subject to change, it's not subject to being added to. We, we don't have to do anything else in order to be saved. It's not subject to being subtracted from. So we do need to repent and turn to Jesus. Um, but he urges us to contend for the gospel. Contend doesn't mean, I don't think in the sense that Judas meant it, in an intellectual sense, be proved right. Uh, we, we'll look at the end of the, the book at what, what contend means. Uh, but contend means live out, be a witness for, and preserve the true gospel um, that we have. Uh, in, in a way that is, is more than intellectual, in a way that is 
demonstrating the holiness and the love of God in our lives. So why, why did he do that? Well, he goes on to say that uh, some people have crept in unnoticed. Notice that these people have crept in unnoticed um, into, into the group of, of people who are, who've turned to God. I don't think, I've certainly never been to or heard of any church in which someone kind of comes in and says, introduces themselves and says, hey, my name is Jim and I am a false teacher. I, my, my ministry is called False Teaching International and I come and I spread confusion and division in the church and, and this is what I'll do today. No, it doesn't happen. Um, in fact, um, Error and false teaching is, is something that, that can creep in to a, a body of believers, and it, it's something that we, we need to be on our guard for and take care of. Um, and that's why we need to, to contend for the gospel. He goes on to, to say, um, at least first of all, one of the things that happens, they pervert the grace of God into sexuality, or sorry, sensuality, and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, we see that one of the, um, one of the attributes of, of, say, liberal churches is what's kind of sometimes called universalism, the idea that live how you are, God loves you, and in the end, everybody will get to heaven, kind of regardless of whether you turn to Christ or not or what you've done. And that's, of course, wrong. We do need to turn to Christ and ask for repentance. Um, I guess many of us would recognize that as wrong. Maybe we should also take care for things that are a little bit more subtle. Um, yeah, we go to church on Sunday, we worship God, but during the week, maybe we need to compromise. Maybe there are things we like, and, um, and it's okay to compromise here and there. It's, it's a similar perversion because um, we have been saved to be set free from sin. Um, and anything which says that uh, because we've been saved, we, we can sin even more is wrong. That's made very clear in Romans. Um, Romans chapter um, 3, Paul says, is it right to go on sinning so that God can be even more glorified? And he, he puts that one down quite quickly. He says, no, that's nonsense. Um, in Romans chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Uh, because we are saved in order to be set free from sin and in order to live in the way that God always meant us to live. Um, so, having introduced this topic... Then Peter goes up, sorry, Jude goes on to outline some reasons why this is important uh, from uh, the Old Testament. And, and um, first of all, he reminds us about the Israelites. So the Israelites wandered in the darkness for 40 years. Um, some of them had not put their faith in God. And those people never entered the promised land. So it is, it is really important to have saving faith, to walk in faith with God and not to be persuaded otherwise. Then he goes on to talk about angels who didn't stay in their position of authority. Now, this is a little bit kind of different, and you might think, what on earth is this about? Um, so maybe it's worth, we, we don't know a lot about these angels, but uh, there are three things that, that we do know. Um, first of all, in, in Revelation chapter 12, and verse 9, it describes the time in which Satan is, is cast down to the earth. Um, and it says, 
The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So Satan obviously led some kind of rebellion in, in heaven and there were other angels who um, followed with Satan. Some of those angels um, are being kept in a, a place known as the abyss, which is a place of utter darkness. Um, Revelation chapter 9 actually tells us that during the, the time of the tribulation at the end of history, those angels for a time will be released. Um, and we, we also see an intriguing story in, in Luke. In Luke chapter 8, um, there's a story of, of how Jesus, you've probably heard it, Jesus casts a whole legion of demons out of a, a man into a herd of pigs. Um, and um, in verse 31 of, of, of Luke chapter 8, the demons have a dialogue with Jesus and they urge him not to throw them into the abyss. So we, we need to take care here not to go into all kinds of theories of, of, of things that, that are not entirely in line with the Bible, but what Jude is saying here is that even angels, no matter how high their position in heaven, even angels who rebel against God are cast into a place of utter darkness and are judged. Then he goes on to remind us of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Sodom and Gomorrah are kind of two towns. You, you probably know the story that they, were, they gave themselves over to sin and sensuality, in particular sexual sin, but probably lots of other things as well. And they were destroyed. Um, it's worth to remember here, you know, God, God doesn't kind of go and, and blow places up the instant that, that somebody sins. Actually, he should, because God is holy. But God has forbearance. Um, even in the Old Testament, we see that those nations which are destroyed because of their sinfulness, God has forbearance for. Genesis chapter 15, God talks about the Amorites, and he says, um, it's not yet time for the Amorites to be destroyed because their sin is not yet complete. In other words, he is having forbearance. The same with Israel when Israel sins. The same with Judah when Judah sins. But nonetheless, this is incredibly serious because the consequences of following sexuality and sinfulness is destruction. So Peter, uh, Jude is telling us here, um, this is really important. It's important that we walk in faith with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's important that we recognize the authority of God and that we do not rebel. And it's important that we don't give ourselves over to sexuality because this is about eternal destruction. This is how serious it is. Then he goes on to talk a little bit more about these people who have come into the, the, um, the congregation. He says, first of all, um, in, in verse 8, they're dreamers, they're people who rely on their dreams. I have a vision, this is my vision. Um, the Bible talks about dreams. Dreams can be both godly and not godly. In Zechariah, Zechariah was a, a prophet um, who came in the time when um, the, uh, the Israelites had come back and started to rebuild the temple. Um, and Zechariah is generally a, a book of encouragement. Uh, but in chapter 10, um, God prophesies against bad shepherds. And he says this about bad shepherds, their idols speak deceitfully, diviners see visions that lie, they tell dreams that are false, they give comfort in vain, therefore the people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. So we need to be careful about people who claim to have dreams. But on the other hand, God also uses dreams. 
So it acts, and also in Joel chapter 2, it says, um, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old man shall dream dreams. Peter had a vision of a group of animals coming down, which, which persuaded him that the gospel needed to go to the Gentiles. So dreams are things that God and the Holy Spirit can use to talk to us, but dreams are also things that can be misused. So what do we do if, if we have a dream or if, if somebody claims to come with a, a vision or a dream? Well, here's a few guidelines. First of all, pray about it. Seek God. If a dream is from God, then God will be more than happy if we seek him um, and, and if we, we want to understand what he has to say to us and that the dream is from him. Secondly, test it against scripture. Uh, God will not give any kind of dream or vision that contradicts scripture. And that's why, that's why we need to know scripture. That's why we need to know memory verses. Um, and we need to, to, to be vigilant and we need to test anything we hear against scripture. Give it time. It kind of seems a little bit strange if somebody comes and says, I, I have a vision or a dream and it, it needs, like tomorrow, something to be done. Generally speaking, God will give enough time for us to, to have discernment. Look for pride. So if, if God gives a, a dream or a vision, the dream or the vision will be for the benefit of the church. If, if somebody is, is, is full of pride, this is my vision to build up my X, Y, Z, maybe we should take a little bit of care. And bear in mind, godly dreams, there's several things that they will never do. So godly dreams will not tempt us. Godly dreams will not license any kind of sinfulness. Somebody has had a dream that he should leave his wife to go and be a missionary. No, the dream will not license sinfulness. They will not excuse sinfulness. Um, dreams won't contradict any other message that, that is from God or anything in Scripture. So it's worth to bear those things in mind because Jude is saying that these people who have crept into the congregation, they are dreamers. Um, they pollute the flesh, so we see that um, they end up degrading things that are in the world in a way that is ungodly. Reject authority. So we already talked a little bit about rejecting the authority of God. Um, in the church, um, the church has elders and leaders, and it's, it's completely right to question and hold elders and leaders to account. But if we see somebody driving a teaching that is kind of rejecting authority in the church, then that's not right. God has ordained authority and is ordained that we submit, should submit to, to church elders and leaders. Maybe also the Bible says that we should, um, in general, submit to the authorities, to the state. If the authorities tell us to do something that's sinful or ungodly, then the first thing we do is submit to God. Um, but if somebody is consistently suggesting that the state has no authority and that we shouldn't be submitting to them, then that's maybe also a warning sign um, because that's also going against what it says in the Bible. And then Jude goes on to an area that's a little bit more complicated. Um, they slander celestial beings um, and then he talks about some kind of dispute between the devil and the archangel, Mo, uh, Mo, uh, the archangel Michael about the body of Moses. Um, th this dispute between the devil and 
Archangel Michael. It's not found anywhere else in Scripture. Um, but the important thing is, is, first of all, this, that even the Archangel Michael doesn't personally try and rebuke spirits. So anybody who comes and talks about the spiritual world and um, claims that they personally can, can rebuke spirits um, is doing something that not even the Archangel Michael would do. Um, if, if spirits are driven out, they are driven out in the name of, of Jesus. Even there, we need to be a little bit cautious. Um, the Bible is clear that at the time when Jesus was on the earth, Jesus drove out demons, um, and that afterwards, um, some of the apostles, they also drove out demons. And then at the end of Mark, Jesus says that um, demons will be driven out as a result of us being Christians. Um, but actually, not everybody who drives out demons in Jesus' name is walking in the truth. How do we know that? Well, Matthew chapter 7 um, and verse 22, Jesus says this, On that day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, uh, I never knew you, depart from me, you're workers of lawlessness. So what he's suggesting that it, it kind of is a little bit logical if, if the world of, of the demonic is um, under the control of, of Satan, then, then, then Satan can kind of cheat. He can make it look like people are driving out demons um, because he can tell them to, to go. Um, so we should be cautious. And what Jude then goes on to say is that these people are messing with things they don't understand, and they're acting like animals. They're just following kind of instincts and feelings, basically. So what do we do? Uh, we know that, um, that, that part of the goodness of God is that evil is driven out of people's uh, lives, and we know that there is a spiritual world. What I would suggest is um, what, what Jude is saying here is they follow things that they don't understand. So a good thing to do to avoid following things that, that you don't understand is to figure out what we do understand. And the Bible tells us everything we need to understand about the gospel and everything we need to understand about the spiritual world. So what do we understand from the Bible? We know that Jesus is the light of the world. We know that that light can remove all darkness. We know that Jesus uh, has conquered all evil. We know that there is a spiritual world. We know that there is evil, but we know that all evil has been conquered by Jesus. We know that all of our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, and if we turn to Jesus, Jesus will set us free from evil from sinfulness in order to be slaves to Christ. Um, Jesus says that when we pray, if we ask for anything in his name, he will do it. Um, we know that miracles and supernatural activities, um, if they are performed by Jesus um, or in the name of Jesus, they are signs. They're not there just for the reason of, of somebody like becoming healed or whatever it is that's happening. Miracles are signs that point to Jesus, that point to Christ and the gospel. 
Um, so it, it's worthwhile to remember all of those things, that actually um, whatever problem anybody has, if they turn to Jesus, everything can be forgiven, and by his blood, um, people can be made new into new creations. Um, driving out of demons and demonic activity, it, it's, it's described in the Bible, but you notice, for example, it's not really described very much in the epistles. Uh, the Bible doesn't really talk very much about the nature of the spiritual world, nor does it talk very much about different kind of techniques for, for driving out demons. So Jesus does say that demons will be driven out if there are Christians around. Um, personally, I think that a large amount of that is if we bring Jesus, if we bring the light, and if people turn to Jesus, um, then evil in their lives uh, will be healed. Um, so, in general, let's be cautious of um, teachings which go beyond what the Bible says and, and start examining or, or discussing how the spiritual world might look and what different techniques there may be for, for dealing with it, and let's focus on what we do know. Um, so then Jude goes on to describe um, maybe some of the, the motivations that, that, that different teachers may, may have. And he, he talks about, um, first of all, they've walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. Cain, in the beginning of Genesis, Cain and Abel were, were sons of Adam and Eve, um, Cain, well, Abel brought a, a sacrifice to God of, of animals because he was a shepherd, and Cain of vegetables. And uh, God accepted Abel's off offering, but he didn't accept Cain's offering. And then Cain got kind of unhappy and, and murdered Abel. Um, so why did that happen? Uh, is it that God kind of doesn't like vegetables or something? No, he created vegetables. Um, we see a little hint of that in Genesis chapter 4, because Genesis chapter 4, it says that Abel brought the firstborn of the flock. Uh, and then it says Cain bought some vegetables. It's not quite clear from, from Genesis that, that Cain was, was really bringing the best and the firstborn. Um, but to understand it better, it's actually good to look at the New Testament. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it, it says that Abel had faith. By faith, Abel offered an offering to God, a, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And in 1 John... Um, 1 John 3, chapter 12, says that we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So John doesn't explain exactly how, but he, it's clear that, that Cain had evil in his heart and his deeds were evil. So this is kind of apparently bringing a sacrifice to God, apparently doing the, the thing that you're meant people are meant to do as, as believers, but actually in the heart, not really having faith and having evil in the heart. Um, then he talks about Balaam's error. So what was Balaam's error? Well, Balaam is described in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 22 to 24, and also chapter 31. Balaam was gifted with a gift of prophecy. Um, and what happens is that the Israelites are doing relatively well. So a foreign king, the king of Moab, he comes to Balaam and offers him a lot of wealth and, and other things uh, if he will go and curse the Israelites so the Israelites don't do well. Um, and 
the alarm goes off to do that, despite the fact that, that God actually causes his donkey to talk to him and say, don't do this. Um, and he's actually not able to, 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 uh, to do it because God's plan succeeds. So Balaam is not able to, to um, curse the Israelites. But then we see later on in Numbers that he found another way um, because at the time when the Midianites were destroyed because of their sinfulness, um, the Bible tells us that some of the Israelites went and, and kind of intermarried with, with Midianite women, which they've been explicitly told not to do, on the advice of Balaam. So Balaam's error was... Um, attempting to use, let's say, some kind of spiritual gifts or insight that he had for profit and for political influence, being led to, uh, to compromise in that way. Um, and then um, we have Korah's rebellion. So Korah's rebellion is, is also described in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Uh, Korah was a guy... Uh, around at the time of Moses and Aaron, and he said, hang on a minute, why are Moses and Aaron the ones who, who get to, to lead us and decide? God, God had explicitly put Moses and Aaron in their place as, as, as leaders, and, and Korah turned around and said, why not? I, I think I could do just as well. Um, and it ends up with a, a kind of trial, but, but it ends up with Korah being swallowed up by the ground and his men and, and disappearing. So these three examples apparently bringing offering and worship to God, but actually not out of a right motivation and with uh, evil in the heart. Being led astray by worldly goods, by wealth, by political influence to, um, to misuse the opportunity to, um, to, to be there as a prophet and a blessing to, to the people of Israel. Um, and not accepting the, uh, the providence of God in setting Moses and, and Aaron as leaders. Those are things which are um, kind of characteristics of, of people who are leading the church astray. So then Jude goes on to describe a, a little bit about the effect that, that these people can have on a church. They are blemishes on your love feasts. Uh, they blemish the church. How? We can actually, if we read ahead to verse 21, uh, no, not verse 21, uh, sorry, verse 19, we can see something of that because he says they cause division in the church. Um, what is a good love feast if there's actually division in the church? Um, it, it's maybe worthwhile to reflect. Um, if we're talking about Christians who are honestly and earnestly seeking God, and seeking to walk with Christ in their lives, and something comes along and it starts to cause division, is that something that is right and good and is edifying to the church? Of course, teachings that are right and godly are going to cause division with the world. Um, and if somebody is, is, for a time, walking in sinfulness, then that might also cause division. But it's at least worth to reflect. If, if, if we start to see divisions, and this is between people who are repentant, who are attempting to walk with God and grow and be sanctified, maybe we need to be a little bit careful of it. And certainly, it can cause a, a blemish when we celebrate together as a church. Clouds without rain. Um, nowadays, in, in 21st century Northern Europe, we, we think clouds without rain are a good thing. We, we think that 
we should have sunshine and enjoy ourselves in the weather, and when it rains, that's a bad thing. Um, but go back to um, the Middle East at the time of Jude writing this letter. Clouds with rain were a blessing because they brought life. They, they brought water for the crops, they brought water to drink, they brought water for the animals, and if, if people saw clouds in the sky that were getting more and more dark, then great, we got rain coming. Um, and if a cloud comes and kind of looks good, but doesn't have any rain, then it's not bringing life, it's not helping. And that's what Jude is saying, even if they look good, they're not bringing life. Trees without fruit, um, I guess we all know that we, we should judge um, the works of someone by their fruit, by their spiritual fruit. And th th these kind of people are trees without fruit. Wild waves of the sea. So wild waves of the sea, full of excitement, tossing everyone around from kind of corner to corner and up and down and full of excitement, but that, that's not necessarily a good thing. Wandering stars that go dark. Imagine comets. They, they look good, they light up the sky and they're amazing, but then they kind of disappear. Um, so that's some of the effects of false teachers. Um, some characteristics of, of their behavior. Uh, grumbling, complaining, finding fault. Um, yeah, sometimes it's, it's important to identify if, if somebody is, is in sinfulness and to in love um, confront that, but finding fault everywhere. Um, following their own desires rather than looking to scripture, um, but being led by their own desires. Boasting about themselves. My ministry is so big. I don't know, whatever it is, people who are boasting about themselves. Uh, flattering others to their own advantage. So then Jude goes on to remind us of something. Um, and that is, this is not something is unexpected or hadn't been warned about because he says that the apostles told us that in the end times this will happen. There will be scoffers and there will be people that cause division. Uh, the end times, that is the time between the point that Jesus went to heaven and the church age started and the time when Jesus returns. Um, so I, I don't know obviously when, when Jesus will return, but we are living in the end times and we are told that in the end times then there will be teaching and there will be people who creep into the body of Christ and mislead, and we should look out for them. Um, so that's, that's the bad part. Um, what do we do about that? Jude told us we should contend for the gospel. Um, and we start to see that in verse 20. What should we do? Um, so... Jude suggests a number of things that, that we should do individually and we should do as a body of Christ. First of all, build ourselves up in the most holy faith. How do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? Um, by exercise. First of all, we should be people of the book, of the Bible. We, we should know our Bibles. We should spend time in the Bible. Um, and we, we shouldn't just know the Bible in the sense of being able to kind of trot out some passage without it having any impact on our lives. The Bible is the word of God. And to build ourselves up in the faith, we need to both know the Bible and apply the Bible. Uh, and think of going to the gym. Um, it, you, you don't get fit by 
knowing how the exercise machines are used and knowing how they might help you and then kind of sitting on the side and, and checking your phone or, or something. We, we actually need to um, work to be obedient and to follow what we see in the Bible. We need to work out to build ourselves up in the faith. Um, pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What, what, what's praying in the Holy Spirit as opposed to any other kind of praying? Um, well, Jesus says in the Bible, whatever you ask for in my name, it will be done. When we pray, um, we need to learn to pray in a way that is worthy of the name of Jesus. And we need to learn to pray in a way that is in line with God's will. That's kind of related to the last one, build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Um, Jesus also says in John, my sheep will recognize my name. Um, we need to work to get to know Jesus. And then when we pray, we need to, it's always good to pray, but we need to just not only set out our own hearts, but we need to learn through prayer to understand God's heart. Um, keep yourselves in the love of God. That might sound a bit strange, because if you remember at the beginning, um, we were told we are being kept in the love of God. Now, now he seems to be saying, keep ourselves in the love of God. Um, so what does that mean? Well, yes, God is keeping us, watching us, um, but we also still have our own free will. Um, and we can, we can fall, we can choose to, to do things which cause a, a problem in the relationship between us and God. We can sin. Um, and if we don't keep ourselves firmly in the love of God, then we put ourselves in danger. Uh, fortunately, God does watch over us. So generally speaking, if we don't keep ourselves in the love of God, he doesn't kind of sit there kind of dispassionately and, okay, goodbye then. Um, God will call us back to him. Uh, that's one really good reason why it's important to be part of the, the church. Uh, he'll use different ways. Maybe he might use pain and suffering if it's serious enough. Um, and um, then he goes on to say, wait for the mercy of God. Remember that um, we are waiting for eternity and we are waiting for eternal life. Then he goes on to say something about how we should deal with others. So have mercy on those that doubt. Uh, in other words, different people are at different stages in their growth with, with, with Christ. Uh, there are some people who may struggle sometimes with doubt. There are some people who may struggle to really understand the, the, the firmness and the depth of their salvation. This is not people who are deliberately rebelling against God and, and not interested. But as a body of Christ, it's so important that we, um, we have mercy on those that doubt and we help them and we help people to grow save others by snatching them out of the fire uh, evangelism um, we see people in the fire uh, we, we should be going out and trying to snatch them out of the fire if they were, it's important that that um, we we don't just be inward looking and, and we don't just see we saw earlier on that it's really serious that that people who are um, have not been forgiven, who are not walking in faith, and who are rebelling against God, are heading for destruction. And part of keeping ourselves pure of a church is working to snatch people from the fire. Um, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Um, maybe a way to paraphrase that is um, love a sinner, but hate the sin. Um, 
if, if people are struggling with sin, um, show mercy with fear. Mercy, point them towards Jesus. But with fear, be, be, be careful about um, sinfulness. Um, and, and, and hate anything to do with sinfulness, but love, love the sinner. So, what does this say to us? I think any of us who have been in, around and involved for some time in, in different circles of, of Christian life and the church um, won't have difficulty to see and to recognize churches and fellowships where that they've gone astray and, and some of these things has happened, whether it's um, a drift towards um, denying Christ and living in, in, in sensuality, whether it's um, compromising to um, like profitability and, and political influence, um, whether it's um, getting a little bit too far outside of what the Bible says about the, the spiritual domain. I'm, I'm sure that we can all, who, who've known the church for some time, see that the, these things can happen. Um, what about our church? So I'm really happy and blessed that um, we can say that in, in, in most ways uh, our church is, is remaining true to the gospel. But can this church um, compromise? Can, can, can teaching, can people creep into this church unnoticed? Uh, absolutely. This, this church is a church, a body of believers in the end times. Um, and what did the apostles warn about? That this kind of thing can happen. So what is Jude telling us? Uh, he's telling us to contend for the faith. So it's really important for all of us um, that we pay attention to what Jude is saying here. Build ourselves up in the faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Both, both individually, but also as a group. Let, let's, let's work to keep ourselves in the, the love of God. Um, have mercy on, on those that doubt. Snatch people from the fire. Um, show mercy with fear when we see people in, in sinfulness. It's, we, we, we are not being told to kind of intellectually ascend to and, and prove ourselves right intellectually. Of course, that, that we should do, but we are being called to preserve the gospel of Christ in the way that we are and the way that we live in the church. Um, because that, that's, that's what Jude was worried about. He, he, he was going to write a letter to these people who he, he wrote his letter to, to talk about the wonders of our salvation, that we have been called, that we have been kept, and that we are loved. And those things are true. But he saw it as really serious that um, as a church, we sh that, that those people and we should contend for the gospel. But then there's one other thing that he reminds us of. There is one who can keep us from stumbling. There is one who can present us as individuals and as a church um, in the presence of his glory with great joy. He can present us blameless. Um, this is not a fight that we are doing kind of on our own to keep ourselves pure. Because Jude is giving us instructions on uh, what we should do so that the one who can keep us from stumbling 
can keep us from stumbling. Um, that is, we are, we are not just trying to preserve some kind of um, like abstract belief. This is about the only God, one Savior, um, to whom be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. So let, let's read this. Let's watch out for, for some of these, these things that it seems can, can creep into to fellowships. But let's keep our eyes focused on the one who can keep us from stumbling. And let's remember as a fellowship that this is what is important for us to do. I, I said that um, we see churches that have gone astray, but there are many churches and there are many believers who don't go astray because Jesus preserves them. Um, numbers don't matter. We, in the time of, of Noah, um, it was eight people who were in the ark. Um, so we know Jesus can preserve and let's work to contend for the faith in our fellowship and in this place. And to him be dominion, authority, majesty, and glory before all time, now and forever. Amen. Maybe I'll quickly pray. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you are those things. We thank you that you, we have the gospel. We, we pray, I pray for the purity of the gospel in our, in our congregation, in our fellowship, and across all of the places where, where people meet in your name, but especially in, in our um, fellowship. And Father, we, we, we raise you up and we, we thank you and we praise you for the goodness. And we, we seek to, um, to, to build ourselves up or be built up in the faith. And Lord, we, we pray that you will teach us to pray in, in your Holy Spirit. Lord, I give thanks for all that you have to say to us in the, this word of Jude. And may we go now and may we be encouraged to contend for the gospel in this church and in our lives. Pray in your name. Amen.